Today we're going to pick up our study in the book of Daniel. We are now on chapter 9. Chapter 9. I want to make this uh, introductory comment that uh, when you do look at the book of Daniel chapter 9, uh, this is not a dream. This is a sharing of God's plan of eternal salvation. When you read chapter 7 and you read chapter 8, those are dreams. There's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of pictures. There's a lot of interpretation. 9, I don't believe there's any of that. About the only thing in there that's figurative is the word weak. Just as we would use the word decade to describe a 10-year period, they use the word weak to describe a 7-year period. Other than that, everything in there, I take it as literal as literal can be. Uh, we don't want to make this overcomplicated. The other thing I would like to stress is when we look at this chapter, two, nearly two-thirds of it is Daniel's prayer. Okay, think about it. Daniel is going to pray to God, and then what's going to happen is God's going to answer him. Four verses describe Gabriel approaching Daniel, and the last four verses of that entire chapter is Gabriel's response or God's response to Daniel. And I would not, I'm, I'm going to try to make this as straightforward as possible because I think that's the way it's supposed to be interpreted. did a lot of research on this chapter because there are folks all over the map on how to interpret this thing. And you know what? I had a hard time finding two people that even agreed with each other. So I think the simple route's the best way to go, and that's what we're going to try to do. Got it? Okay. So let's start with this, and we're going to start here in verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> verse 1 and 2. Now, before I read this, let's, let, let's take another step back. Do you remember Daniel was um, kidnapped? He was uh, abducted, however you want to say it, by Nebuchadnezzar way back in chapter 1. He was a young man, probably a teen. And at that particular time, there was a writing by Jeremiah... And Jeremiah said that you, Judah, are going to be in captivity for 70 years. 70 years. We read that when we went back in chapter 1. 70 years you're going to be that, uh, in captivity. So Daniel was right there at day 1. And here it is 68 years later. And Daniel's reading the Bible. And he is going to say, hey, we're getting pretty close to the 70 years. Got it? Okay, so let's read verse 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, boy, I botched that, didn't I? Of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would be accomplished 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. In other words, Jerusalem is going to have to wait 70 years before they can start coming back home and rebuilding the city. God told this way, way before they were ever captured. Got it? So Daniel's reading the Bible and he's looking at the timetable and he's saying, we're pretty close. We're pretty close. And he's thinking, huh, well, when this event happens in two years, how should I behave? How should I act? So he's going to pray. Okay, so that's where we're moving now. 
So let me go in verse 3. And I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord and made confession and said. Okay, so right there at the end of verse 4 starts the prayer. But here's Daniel, and he, he knows this event's coming up, and he knows he's supposed to be involved in it, and he wants to know how he's supposed to act when the event happens. And notice what he does. He starts preparing himself, and he starts praying. And he even adds fasting and sackcloth and ashes because he's really serious. You know, when I read this account, it really reminds me a lot of Nehemiah chapter 1. Do you remember when he, he, he started praying? He said, you know, there's, I, I'm looking at Jerusalem. The walls are all busted down. And, and, and he starts praying and he starts confessing sins. And he reminds God of the promises. He confesses sins not only of himself, but of his fathers and his father's fathers and everything we've done. Well, Daniel's going to do the same thing. Okay? Okay, let me, let me just give you the bottom line. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell it to you. Then I'm going to tell you what I told you. Right? Basically, for the next, oh, for dozen, dozen and a half verses, Daniel's going to say, we're a mess. We were a mess 70 years ago, and we're still a mess. We've sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've rebelled against you. We've departed from you. You sent us prophets, and we ignored them. He says, we're a mess. We deserve everything we got, right? But I'm asking, I'm pleading for mercy and forgiveness. Lord, please don't give us what we deserve. Give us what we don't deserve. Give us mercy and forgiveness. That's basically what he's going to pray for the next dozen and a half verses. And if anybody would be convicted to do this for the America right today, this would be just fine to pray this prayer and then slash out Jerusalem and put in America. It it would be just right. Amen? But this is what he's praying. And he's cranking it up with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Okay? So this is where we're at. Let's go to verse 4. Oh, 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 I forgot forgot to tell you the bottom bottom line. So, so, So he prays this. And it's remarkable because when we get there, about verse 20, he was going to say, while I was speaking, Gabriel came to me. In other words, God answered him just like that. And Gabriel comes and, and, and approaches him and there's this interaction between them. And then Gabriel answers him. But this is what Gabriel's going to do. See, Daniel is praying for the deliverance of physical Judah and saying, we're going to go back home. Please forgive us. Allow us to get back home and help us to behave ourselves. What God's going to do is saying, Daniel, I love you so much. You've been such a faithful servant. I got something bigger in mind than that. I'm going to rebuild the city. But I got this plan over 490 years, and in 490 years, I'm sending you the Messiah, and he's going to really save you. This saving that you're praying for, that's here on earth. But he's going, God's going to, or God through Gabriel, the angel, is going to tell him, 
I'm really going to save you. And you know what? That's chapter 9. That's it. That's it. No pictures, no metaphors. And he said, by the way, I'm going to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and I'm going to destroy it because the people are going to rebel again. But that redestroying it, that's not part of the 490 years. Between then, I'm going to send you the Messiah, my son, Jesus Christ, and he's going to take away all your sins. So you want us to forgive and sin? Jesus is going to take away your sins because you're such a faith God. I'm telling you that whole plan. Okay? So let's read it and see if it's so. Let's not make this chapter that complicated. That's the story, okay? All right, so let's go look at his prayer. Oh, well, but, okay, let's back to verse four. I, I'm just, I'm so excited about this because I've, I've wrestled with this for quite a while. Verse four, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant of mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. That's exactly what Nehemiah prayed. He says, you promised Moses a long time ago. You promised Joshua. You, every king in between now and then, you promised, if you obey me, I'll be near you. And if you disobey me, I'll back away. And that's simply what he's doing. And Daniel say, Lord, you promised this. Right? Okay, so here it is. Okay, here's, here's, here's the guts of the prayer. Notice this in verse 5. We are still in Daniel 9, looking at verse 5. Look at this list. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from the precepts and thy judgments. Daniel said, we did it. No excuses, no justifications, no reasoning, no rationalization. We did it. We did it. We are guilty nine ways. Yes, we did it. Neither have we hearkened to thy servants, the prophets who spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and all the people of the land. Lord, you sent your messengers, and you told us, and you warned us, and we ignored them. Okay? Verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us, confusion of faces, as at this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, unto all of Israel that are near and that are far off. What he's saying is, 70 years ago, when we got judged, we deserved it. And here it is 68 years later, and you promised to deliver us, and we hadn't got any better. We're still ignoring you. This day, this day. I'm halfway through seven that are far off through all the countries, whether thou hast driven them, because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. Look at that. Sin, iniquity, wickedness, rebellion, departing, ignoring the servants, and trespassing. But, but he just got it every which way, didn't he? He said, that's us. That's us. This is a humble prayer, isn't it? Amen? Verse 8. O Lord, to us belong confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belongeth mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. 
Neither have we obeyed the voice of our Lord, our God, to walk in his laws, which have set before us by his servants, the prophets. We are just, we're a despicable people. That's what he's saying. And he says, you are the God of mercy and you are the God of forgiveness. We don't have any of that. That's all you. Okay. He's just, he's just making it clear. Okay. Verse 11. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. You know, he's saying, you know, everything that's happened to us is exactly what you told us was going to happen. And everything you happened to us is exactly what we deserve. We earned it. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing us upon a great evil. For under the whole heaven had done this, had done this upon Jerusalem. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Kind of reminds me of Jonah from last week, right? There he was in the middle of the, in the belly of the whale for 72 hours. And finally, after 72 hours, he finally says, oh, I'm going to pray to God. Well, that's Jerusalem. He says, we're going through all this mess. And never once did we ever pray or confess our sins or say, I'm sorry, or just say, please have mercy on us. Never did it. We never did that. Okay. I know this is getting pretty rough, isn't it? It's getting better. It'll get you better. Okay. Two more hard verses, and then we'll come to the good stuff. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon, watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord, O God, that, that hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has forgotten the, the renown at, as at this day we have sinned and have done wickedly. He said, Lord, once upon a go, there was a people that were captured in Egypt and you showed mercy on them. And he says, you're the same God. You're the same God that delivered Israel out of Egypt. Can you do it again? Would you consider doing it again? Okay. Here's the heart of the prayer right here. 16, 17, 18, and 19. He's going to beg for mercy. Okay, let me read this. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let not thine anger and thy fury, let thy anger and thy fury be turned away. Lord, you're mad at us, and we deserve it. Can you ease up a little bit? Can you turn that fury away? from thy city Jerusalem, from the holy mountain, because our sins and our iniquities are of our fathers. Jerusalem and thy prophets are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon the sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear, hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations the city which is called by thy name and do not 
present uh, or supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for our great mercies. Do you hear what he says in verse 18? He says, have mercy on us, not because of anything good we've done, just because you're merciful. Lord, I'm begging you, please have mercy on us. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, hearken and do. Defer not. In other words, now, in short order, please have mercy quickly. Don't wait. For thine own sake, oh my God, for the city and thy people are called by thy name. That's kind of what we read in Ezekiel 36 last Wednesday. Remember, God had mercy on a people. He didn't do it because of their righteousness. It was in spite of their wickedness. He did it for his own name. Lord, I'm calling for your name. We are a people that has your name attached to us. And simply because maybe you'll have mercy on us. That was Daniel's prayer. Okay, think about it. Let's think about that prayer from a couple aspects. Number one, personally. Have you ever just got down and confessed your sin in that kind of detail? No excuses. You don't blame your spouse. You don't blame the, the economic environment. You don't blame um, what someone did to you. You don't blame how you were feeling that day. You weren't blaming anything medical. You weren't blaming anything uh, emotional. You just, you just said, Lord, I'm guilty. Period. Okay. Let's take a step back and now think about it as a nation. Lord, you've given us everything. You've given us bounty. You've given us protection. You've given us natural resources. You've given us uh, medical breakthroughs. And we continue to just spit in your face and deny your covenants and your precepts and your laws and your definitions. Your definitions of right and wrong and marriage and family and boys and girls just spit in your face lord please have mercy on us as a nation what if we prayed like that what if the nation prayed like that okay well that's exactly what daniel did and this is what god's going to do ready so that's the prayer that's the heart of chapter 9 everything that comes after this the next 8 verses is a response to this prayer got it we got to keep context in mind. Okay? This is, this is, God sent Gabriel, he sent an angel. He sent the same angel in chapter 7 and chapter 8. He's sending him now. But this time, not, the angel's there not to interpret a dream. The angel's to share a 49-year, let's say, I'm sorry, a 409, almost a 500-year plan. Okay? Verse 20. I love this phrase. And whiles I was speaking... Right? Matter of fact, he says it twice. That's how he starts off in verse 21. And whiles I was speaking, it sounds like uh, something you'd hear on a, uh, uh, the porch of a hardware store in downtown uh, Southernville, right? Whiles I was speaking. And whiles I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. And whiles I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. 
I'm amazed at how fast God answered this prayer. Remember we talk about prayers you can take to the bank? One of those prayers is in James 1.5, right? If any of you lack wisdom, ask, and he was gracious to give it to you. Lord, have you, have you ever asked that? Lord, I don't know what to do. I know what I want to do. I want to do whatever you want me to do. I just don't know what that is. Please tell me. My friends, he's answered that prayer every single time for me. That's one of those prayers you can take to the bank. 1 John 1, 9. He promises to forgive when you confess your sins. It's quick and it's immediate. Now, when my children or my wife ask me for forgiveness, I got to think about a couple days. Right? I got to stew about, okay, all right, uh, okay, I'll forgive you. That's not God. He does it quickly. And also the third one you can take to the brink is Luke eleven thirteen. when you ask for the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm anxious. Send me the Holy Spirit to give me peace. Lord, I'm confused. Send me the Holy Spirit to, to give me clarity. Okay, so, so he answered quickly. Got it? Verse 22. This is what Gabriel did to Daniel. He informed me, and he talked with me, and he said, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications and the commandment came forth, I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. So from 24 to 27, the last four verses, he's going to give them the actual instruction. But basically what he said, do you remember how much we studied Daniel, especially in chapter five? Daniel was an incredible man of integrity and he won the favor of God and man. What, a, what an attribute to have in a human being and a child of God. And that's exactly what, Daniel, God loves you incredibly so. You've been a faithful servant. Yeah, I know you got a break. As a teen, you got kidnapped and carried away from home and your parents, and I think probably his parents got killed. And yeah, they did a surgery on him and they made him a eunuch, so he never knew the love of a woman or had children or got married or anything like that. Yeah, you got a bad deal there. And yeah, you lived your entire life as a slave. Yeah, that's a pretty bad deal too, isn't it? But even through all of that, you're a faithful man. Boy, did he get a lot of bad breaks. Amen? He had every reason to kick and moan and throw a pity party. But he didn't. He was faithful. And here he is, and he's praying this prayer, and he's confessing his sins. And here he is, and he says, Thou art greatly beloved. Not thou art beloved. Thou art greatly beloved. And I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going to help you to understand something. But I'm going to help you to understand not just what you asked for. I'm going to give you something and I'm going to take it back and I'm going 5,000 feet and I'm giving you the 5,000 foot view of what's going on. Okay? You see, I've got this plan. And I got this whole planet of earth that are wicked in sin. I forgive them, and it just looks like the book of Judges, this roller coaster ride where they get close to God and they have good times, and all of a sudden they get far from God and they, they get in trouble and then they get close to God again and up and down and up and down, and that's mankind. 
and I'm going to bless you, and the 70-year cycle is going to be over, and you're going to go home, and you're going to rebuild the temple, and you're going to rebuild the walls, and you're going to have a city there. But guess what? We're just going to go through another dip in the valley of the roller coaster ride. Take a big step backward. I got something better in plan for you than that. I'm sending Jesus Christ, because when this world is over, he's going to take away every one of those sins, and there's no, going to be no more dips and valleys. That's what I'm sending you, and that's the plan I'm going to show you. All right? So, let's go to these last four verses. Seventy weeks. This is the only thing figurative in the old chapter. The word weeks means a seven-year segment of time. So seven times 70 is 490 years. And 490 years are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city. Notice what's going to happen at the end of 490 years. There is no way you can misunderstand this is Jesus Christ. Got it? I'll finish transgression. Did a bullock or a lamb ever do that? No. Did your confession ever do that? It might have gotten forgiveness, but never finished it. Because you're going to do the same thing again tomorrow or the next month. Make an end of sins. Make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up the vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. In 490 years, something special is going to happen. And all six of those things are going to happen. Finish the transgression. Make an end of sins. Make reconciliation for iniquity. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Seal up the vision and anoint the most holy. You're just simply about getting a whole bunch of vagabonds back to Jerusalem. I'm going way better than that. See, I got this plan that's going 490 years, and at 490 years, Jesus Christ coming, he's going to take care of all this stuff. Does that give you hope? I hope so. And he's probably thinking, well, that doesn't do me any good. I'm already almost 90 years old, 490. I'm not going to live that long. I will never see that stuff. But he's got the truth of it, and he's got the peace of it. And that's more important than seeing it. Okay? 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of this commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah. That's 490 years. Well, actually it's 492 years. Because remember, this is year 68, and Darius won't give the decree to rebuild the city for two more. Yes? But when Cyrus finally gets in there and he gives us permission to start rebuilding to the time when Jesus Christ comes, I'm going to explain a little bit what's going to go on there. But that's the time frame we're looking at. There shall be 69 weeks, seven weeks, and three score, two weeks. And the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Okay, then we're going to rebuild this. We're going to go get a little more detail of this, what's going on here in 25. That's it. That's it. Well, God, why did you break up for the 49 weeks? I'm sorry, not the 49, the 70 weeks. Why did you break it up into a chunk of seven and a chunk of 62 and a chunk of one? Why'd you do that? He's going to tell you. But basically what he's going to tell us in the next verse, we're going to read it. He's going to say, it took 49 years to rebuild everything. That's, that's seven weeks. And then once everything gets built, there's this slow decay 
of the Jewish faith for the next 434 years, 62 weeks, 62 times seven, I'll let you guys do that math, okay? It's gonna be the slow decay. But then Jesus is gonna arrive. That last week, Jesus is gonna arrive and he's gonna take care of those things we just talked about. That's it, okay? Okay, so there we go. And for those that you are nerdy like me, and like it, and there's, there's, a, there's a graph of all the time frames. You can look at all those things. We can look at it in terms of weeks. You can look at it as an actual years. You can look at it at the totals. You can look at things what are, what are done. There's on the chart is when Babylon is defeated. We see the restoration of Cyrus. We see the restoration of the temple. There's the 49 years. And then we're going to go through a period of about 434 years. And then we're going to see in that particular time, that's that last week, that last seven-year section. And that's when Jesus arrives on the scene. We're going we're gonna to learn a little bit about that. Now, I've got to share something with you. <clears throat> I get uncomfortable when I was studying Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8. Because when I did that, I had to rely a lot on historians. You know, they may be right, they may be not, but I found that historians are, tend to be biased with what they think and what they believe. I'm, I'm just nervous about it. But when I get to chapter 9, I didn't have to go to the historians to prove it. You know what I got to go to? I got to go to the New Testament to prove it. I got a whole higher comfort level by doing that. Right? And even Jesus is going to be quoting the book of Daniel. He does it in Mark 13. He does it in Matthew 24. And even he's quoting and he's saying, this is going to happen, this is going to play out. That's where I I feel better. Okay? But in the meantime, for those of you who like the historians... The best I can tell, it seems to fit pretty good, too. The, the precision is exact. Now, from a secular standpoint, can you imagine someone predicting the arrival of a man named Jesus Christ 490 years before he's born? Do you understand from a worldly standpoint, the prediction, the accuracy of all that's going to happen? It's, to me, it's mind-blowing. Okay, I think it's pretty mind-blowing to predict what's going to happen next year, let alone in 490 years, but that's what's going to happen. Okay, let's keep on going. Uh, Verse 26. Now remember, God's verbal response to Daniel was basically contained in those last four verses. We just covered the first two. There's the salvation. Verse 26. So it, it... after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. What does that mean? Well, after, after there's the seven weeks, the 49 years to rebuild, there's the 62 weeks, but now the 62 weeks will go by and there'll be this slow decay of Jerusalem again, the slow decay of the temple worship. It'll just go down, down, down till you get to the point where Jesus is fighting the Pharisees for all the craziness going on where they were worshiping themselves and their traditions more than God and his word. And there's this slow decay. And then finally it says, that's it. And the Messiah will be cut off but not for himself. Well, then who's he going to be cut off for? Anybody? I hope everybody here raised their hand. Me, right? For me, for us, for his children. He's going to be cut off, not for himself. 
And the people and the prince shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof with a flood and the end of the war desolations are determined. <clears throat> I do believe that Jesus will come. I'm sorry, Jesus has come and he took care of all that. He was cut off not for himself and then Jerusalem was destroyed. 327. He shall confirm the covenant that many of one week in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the spreading of abominations, he shall make desolate until the consummation. Okay, what, what, what does that mean? Okay, let's look at the phrase in the midst of the week. I think this is a twofer. A twofer. Got it? I think you can take that in the midst of the week, literally. Now, this is where I separate from a lot of my Christian friends. I believe Jesus died on a Wednesday. I think that's the only way you can get three days and three nights into that time frame. In the midst, literally, he died in the midst of the week. But figuratively, talking about the seven-year period, how long was Jesus Christ's ministry? Three and a half years in the midst of a week. So I I think it fits both ways. And when he dies, after that three and a half years of his ministry, and at the end of his three and a half years, and he's going to die, there's going to be no more sacrifices to take away sins. It's it's done. There's going to be no more Passovers. No more first fruits, no more atonements, no more trumpets, no more feast of booths, none of this. It's it's done. There's no need. He's fulfilled it all. It's done. And he's going to take care of that. And he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And the overspreading of the abominations shall make it desolate until the consummation. And then the Jewish setup, the Jewish government is going to be totally destroyed. When you go to, um, I think it's in Matthew 24, Jesus Christ is in the last week of his life and he's going back and forth from Bethany to the temple, to Bethany to the temple. And he's done, done that for a couple, couple, several days in a row. And one of these they're doing, they're walking out of the temple, they're going back to Bethany to go home and get a meal and lay down for the night. And the disciples go to him and they say, look at these buildings. Aren't they great? And Jesus says, no, in pretty short order, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. So they go home. And when they get home, and they're sitting around, and I think they're eating and talking and debriefing for the, everything that went on for the day. They said, Jesus, tell us what you mean. And he tells them, he said, no, Jerusalem is going to come to an end. But you know what? We're not worried about the kingdom of Jerusalem and its king and its economy and its army and its borders. Because we've got a new kingdom that we live in right now, a spiritual kingdom called the kingdom of God. And we press into that on a daily basis. That's where we're going to live and that's where we put all our stock. I know that makes me different than a lot of people. But I don't really believe the Lord would have it make us this complicated. I think the kingdom of heaven is open to me right now to enjoy. And that's where I want to press into, and that's where I want to live, and that's where I want my citizenship, that's where I want my fellowship, that's where I want my communion with the Lord. I think that's it. So with that being said, 
You can go back and look at the timetables and see if it fits. I think it does. I got five conclusions I want to draw from Daniel chapter 9. This is one that's the down and dirty where the rubber hits the road. I know all I'm throwing all these trite cliches at you. But this is the lesson from chapter 9. Number one, saints should be humbled by Daniel's preparation for prayer. When was the last time you sat in sackcloth and ashes? You don't have to literally do it. You can do it mentally. You can fast. You can do that literally. Amen? What's the last time you did that just over your sin? Okay? Now, I know we tend to do that if someone really close to us has cancer and big operation coming up, or there's a great big decision coming up, or, or, or maybe you've got a child that's being really, really rebellious. But what about your sin? Just because of your sin. Okay? That's what Daniel did. Number two, saints should model Daniel's confessions and admittance to sin. No excuses. I'm guilty. Nine ways to sundown. I did it. I did I did it. I did it. And there's some stuff I didn't do, but I thought of doing it, just something gotten in the way. Right? I just didn't get around to doing it. Number three, saints should be excited about the Lord's quick response to Daniel. That's the kind of God we serve. Number four, saints should be thankful for the fulfillment of this prophecy. Also the fulfillment of the 70 years, but also the fulfillment of Jesus Christ coming exactly on time in the 490 years. He was right on time. You know, sometimes in the Old Testament, you see a uh, God will give a timetable, and it might be a judgment or a promise. And sometimes those timetables can be extended based on good behavior if it's a judgment. Sometimes it can be shortened up. But this 490, no, there was no lengthening or shortening. That was about Jesus Christ. That schedule was set. Got it? And then finally, saints should press into the kingdom, which reigns today and always. That's what we should be striving for. That's the kingdom. That's the reign we want. We still confess our sins and we still press in and we still want to be a member of that thing. I pray that that's the case. So when I read Daniel 9, and I tried to preach on this maybe 12 or 15 years ago, I I, I do believe that here it is over 10 years later, 12 or 15 years later, and I read this thing, I just... I see it more than something academic. I see it something that parallels my life today. I see the prayer pairing of my life and the times that we live. And I see the fulfillment of we can ask for all these things. And we can pray for our officials and we should. Timothy told us to do that. Or Paul told Timothy to do that. I said that wrong. Paul told us to do it in Timothy's epistle. We should be praying for our leader that we lead a quiet and peaceable life. that's okay. And what Daniel was doing was just right. But what happens when you take a step back and you get the 5,000 foot view and you realize, wow, we're just a drop in the bucket to God. Christ came. He's coming back. He's going to scoop us all up. That's good news. So that's what chapter 9 is to me today. It was more academic 12 or 15 years ago. Now it's that. And I'm thankful for it. So I pray that uh, it's been a blessing to you.
So what we're going to do is um, we've got, I've got kind of in mind to do one more lesson from Daniel, chap, from the book of Daniel. I'm going to skip 10 and 11. Those are some more prophetic type messages. And then I'm going to go right to chapter 12. So if those of you that are going to be reading ahead this week, uh, I'd encourage you to read 10 and 11, but 12 is the one I want you to bear down. It's fairly short. It's talking about sufferings. We talked about sufferings a little bit while ago when we were looking at those men going through the trials of uh, uh, the lions and, and the furnace and, and those things right there. We're going to talk about the trials and the sufferings in chapter 12. and that We'll use that to real, wrap it up. So there we're at.